Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb, and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Father, this is something that we still need to marvel at. And yet, we are so familiar with it. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would help us to regain that sense of awe and wonder when we consider the resurrection. Do this for us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On November 29th of last year, Jose Ribeiro de Silva, a 62-year-old man who had been afflicted with mouth cancer, was declared dead. His family was issued a death certificate His body was put in a bag and taken to the morgue. And five hours later, he was discovered awake and breathing. Unlike Jose, Jesus of Nazareth was verifiably dead. He was crucified with two thieves by Roman soldiers. Since the Jews did not want the bodies to remain On the cross, on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the others who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water, as it's described in John 19. 
These soldiers, remember, were professional killers. Execution was their profession. Crucifying people is what they did every day. They knew a dead body when they saw one. So when what looked like blood and water came out of Jesus, they knew what that meant. It was a clear indication that Jesus was indeed dead. His body was taken down from the cross and buried late that afternoon in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb that had never been utilized before. When the women came to the tomb early that next Sunday morning, they were expecting to find the corpse of Jesus. They did not. This passage tells us a number of things about these women. And the first thing it tells us is that when they came to the tomb and when they found it empty, they were perplexed. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. As I prayed just a moment ago, one of the difficulties some of us have with the resurrection story is our familiarity with it. We know and believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And so we know that the story of Jesus' passion, betrayal, trials, crucifixion, death, and burial has a happy ending We're not surprised anymore. But we need to remember that those who personally experienced the events of that resurrection day didn't share that familiarity. The women who went to the tomb that first Sunday morning were grief-stricken. They were depressed. They were exhausted. Their beloved teacher had been killed Cut down in the prime of his life. His teaching had filled them with hope and expectation of a glorious kingdom. The kingdom of God. Sadly, as often as he had taught them about why he had come and what he would do, they misinterpreted his teaching. They thought he was going to bring about some political or military kingdom rather than a spiritual kingdom. And so forgetting what he had said, when Jesus was crucified, all their hopes were dashed. The women went to the tomb of Jesus that first Sunday morning to complete the burial process. And according to Mark, As they walked to the garden where the tomb was located, they were wondering how they were going to open the tomb. That is, how would they move that 
huge stone which had been rolled in front of the tomb in order to seal the entrance. Their expectation was that perhaps they would be able to find someone to help them roll the stone. And if they could do that, then they would enter into the tomb. They would finish preparing the body of Jesus for its permanent burial. They would shed some more tears, and then they would go home. That's how they anticipated this morning unfolding. It's not quite how it went. No one who visits the grave of a loved one expects that on arrival, they're going to find that grave empty. But if you did go to visit a loved one's grave and you did find it empty, what would you think? Even at that point, you would probably wonder why someone exhumed the casket. You would wonder what in the world anyone would want with that body. The possibility that there had been a resurrection Probably not the first thing that comes to mind. Luke said that on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared so they could complete the burial process, and they found when they arrived that moving the stone was not going to be a problem because it had already been moved. They were probably quite glad, up until that point at least. Would have been wondering why, but one less thing for them to be concerned about. But when they entered into the tomb, they did not find what they expected. The body of the Lord Jesus was not there, although the linen burial clothes were And understandably, we read in verse 4 that they were perplexed about this. And when I read that, my response is, you think? They didn't understand what had happened to the body of Jesus. In fact, Mary Magdalene went so far as to say, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. John gives us that. She didn't know if the body of Jesus had been stolen or if it had been placed in another tomb. At this point, the women simply didn't know where the body of Jesus was. The empty tomb simply served to intensify their grief. But the possibility that Jesus had risen from the dead had not yet occurred to them. There were all kinds of other possibilities, no doubt, running through their minds, but resurrection wasn't one of them. They were perplexed. Of course, the morning is about to become even more eventful for them, because added to their perplexity is about to come a rebuke. These women were perplexed, and then they were rebuked. Luke goes on to say that while the women were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them 
in dazzling clothing. Now, these two men, we know, are in fact angels. The Gospel of John tells us that Mary saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain. One at the head and one at the feet. So you'll remember how we described this tomb last week. You come into the tomb and on one side of the tomb is a ledge. That's where the body goes. And then in other places of the tomb, there are shelves cut out so that eventually, when the body decays and there's nothing left but bones, those bones go into what's called an ossuary, a bone box. And that box then is put up on a shelf and the ledge is free for the next person to come and take up residence in that tomb. These two men, these two angels, were sitting there on the ledge where they had put Jesus' body. Now, don't allow the fact that Luke calls them men and John calls them angels throw you. It's obvious that Luke is writing this account with the women at the center of the events which are taking place. He's writing from their perspective. And so he refers to the angels as men because when the women first saw them, no doubt that's what they assumed they were. Their misperception, however, was soon corrected as the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And of course, this is the typical way that people respond to angelic visitations. They may have looked at first glance like men, but it wasn't long before they understood These guys are something we haven't encountered before. And so we're told that they were terrified, which of course they would be. You and I would be as well. Virtually every time an angel appears to someone in the scripture, the first thing they say to them is don't be afraid. Because angels are terrifying. So these women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. Now here is one of the occasions, one of the few occasions, when they don't say, don't be afraid. They just get right to the point. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? And that may seem like a harmless question, but it is in fact a rebuke to the women. And that comes out in what the angels will go on to say. The angels told the women that not only were they mistaken in coming to anoint a lifeless corpse, but also that they should have known better. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, he, but he has risen. <clears throat> Remember how he spoke to you. While he was still in Galilee. 
saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. They should have known what was happening. They should have expected it. From the time they laid him in the tomb, they should have spent that entire weekend waiting for Sunday morning because on Sunday morning they would, have, they would see Jesus again. That should have been their expectation. And so first thing the angels do is to rebuke them for their forgetfulness, for not understanding for not hearing what Jesus had taught over and over and over again. And apparently, we find here, he had not only taught this to the twelve, but to the wider group of disciples as well. He taught the women that he was going to die and be buried and rise again. So the women were perplexed, and then the women are rebuked. But even within this rebuke, there's something else going on, because they're also being instructed. Remember how he spoke to you. While he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And it was only then that we're told they remembered his words. So they come, they see the angels, they are terrified, they bow down to the ground. The angel says, He is not here, but he has risen. Can you imagine how those women must have felt when they heard those words? All that grief that had filled them is suddenly washed away from them. He is risen. He's not dead anymore. No one has stolen his body. It hasn't been misplaced. He's risen. They had thought someone had taken away their Lord and they did not know where they had lain him. But now they were being told he's not here because he has risen. And while they're processing those glorious words, the angels just keep piling things on. Don't you remember? He told you to expect this. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. And as the angels finish explaining what had happened to Jesus, Luke says that the women remembered his words. And you want to say, well, it took long enough. But then I put myself in their position. And I have no grounds upon which to criticize them. Because I know my own forgetfulness. I know my own hard heart. 
I know those things that I just let slip out of my mind until someone reminds me of them. And I have to conclude that if I were there among those women, I'm not sure I would have responded in any other way. This idea of resurrection is not something that happens every day. Having known how Jesus taught, speaking in parables and metaphors, it's certainly possible that when I hear him speaking about things that are just outside of my experience, I might just attribute it to a figure of speech. Jesus is talking about something that I don't really get here, but clearly he, he, he can't be speaking literally about this. This kind of thing just doesn't happen. Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection on several occasions, just after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 22, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Can't get much more detailed than that. On another occasion, immediately after Jesus' transfiguration, he says to his disciples in Mark 9, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. When Jesus is leaving Galilee to go to Jerusalem with his disciples. He says to them in Luke 18, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. So not only did Jesus tell them over and over and over, but we find there that the Old Testament prophets also spoke of these things. Which later on here in chapter 24, Jesus is going to come back to. So Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that he would be killed and then rise again. And not only that he would rise again, but that he would rise again in three days. So there's a great deal of specificity about that. That calendar reference of three days takes what Jesus is saying out of the realm of the possibility of speaking spiritually and brings it into the literal Jesus also often spoke, as we said, in parables and metaphors, but that's not what he's doing here. It's not what he's doing when he speaks of his death and his resurrection. The great truth here for us is that the significance of the resurrection is inseparable from Jesus' prophetic word about his death and resurrection. It is the word of God that makes sense of everything. 
Later on this first Sunday, Jesus chided two disciples who were on their way to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And he says to them, if you just look a little further into the chapter, beginning with verse 25, he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. And even later, on that same Sunday, Jesus appears to his apostles in Jerusalem. And you read down, beginning in verse 44, he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. How does anyone ever believe the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead? At the end of the day, every one of us comes to believe the good news of the gospel because we believe the word of God. You'll note, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, whether it be the now eleven or the larger group of his disciples, when he's speaking to them about these things, he doesn't go into a lecture on apologetics. Doesn't say, you know what, let me just lay out all of the rational evidence for my resurrection. What does he do? He points them to the word of God. God spoke. And if God spoke, it's your responsibility to believe it. Why didn't you believe it? How come you didn't know? The prophets told you. I told you. Kent Hughes puts it this way. The prophetic word from Jesus and the entire corpus of the Bible is central to the gospel. Jesus' atoning death is fully understood only in the light of the whole word. His resurrection is only understandable in conjunction with his word. In point of fact, those who had rejected the prophetic word rejected the resurrection just as Jesus had taught they would. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You remember that? The story of Lazarus and the rich man? 
Lazarus is in torment and wants, or the rich man rather, is in torment and wants Lazarus to be sent back to his brothers to warn them and to tell them. And he's convinced that if they see someone come back from the dead, they will believe. They will repent and they won't end up where the rich man is. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom at peace. Abraham tells the rich man, it doesn't work like that. It's not a matter of evidence. It's not a matter of argument. It's a matter of believing the word of God. Even if they see someone risen from the dead, they still won't believe. They've got Moses. They've got the prophets. They have all they need. And if they refuse to heed the word of God, which has come through Moses and the prophets, then they're not even going to believe their own eyes if they see someone risen from the dead. We were talking this morning in discipleship about revival. And we were talking about various evangelists down through history. And the name of Billy Graham came up, of course. And one can take issue with some of his methodology. His sermons were not great works of biblical exposition. But what they did do was point people to the scripture. For those of you who are old enough to remember him and his preaching, what was he constantly saying? The Bible says. The Bible says. That was the authority. And that is the authority for all Christian preaching. Not funny stories, not great illustrations, not lines of logical evidence. The word of God says, thus saith the Lord. Let us believe God's word because it is God's word. It is self-attesting. Let us be people of the book. Let us read the word of God, believe the word of God, meditate upon the word of God, and live the word of God. Since God is the divine author of his word, let us hear his word, heed his word, obey his word. As finally these women did. So the women were perplexed and they were rebuked and then they were instructed. And finally these women became witnesses. Having remembered Jesus' words, and now understanding that Jesus was indeed alive, the women returned from the tomb and told all these things to the others. Notably, the first ones to proclaim that Jesus was alive were women, which in itself is quite stunning 
and demonstrates that God does things in ways we wouldn't expect. In those days, a woman's testimony didn't count for anything. Women could not testify in a court of law. But consistently, throughout his entire gospel, Luke showed how highly Jesus valued women and their testimony about him. It is because of the testimony of these women that the word first goes out that Jesus is risen. Now it's also because these were women that the first proclamation of the gospel, the first proclamation of the resurrection, I should say, is not believed. These women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them, they went back and they were telling these things to the apostles, to the eleven. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. So we're not talking about Pharisees. We're not talking about the Sanhedrin. We're not talking about Romans. We are talking about Jesus' inner circle. Those who had been with him for three years. Those who heard, we've got to assume, even more than the women had heard, that Jesus was going to die and be buried and rise again on the third day. They heard that at least as much as the women and probably more. And yet, when they're confronted with this truth, the words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Now, don't skip too quickly over that last phrase in verse 11. I find it instructive that Luke did not say they did not believe. He said they would not believe. Which communicates to me an emphasis on the will They chose not to believe. Now, to his credit, Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb. And we're told that stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes sitting there by themselves, the linen wrappings only, and then he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. In the Gospel of John, we read that John also ran with Peter to the tomb. John got there first, but did not go in. Peter came, and he did go in. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. 
not lying with the rest of the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. And then John, who had reached the the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. John then makes a very interesting comment that as yet, they did not understand the scripture. That Jesus must rise from the dead. So the women come, tell them, Jesus is risen from the dead. Peter runs to the tomb, sees the grave clothes there, sees the body gone, and still doesn't believe that Jesus is risen. This is how hard the human heart is. Even a regenerate human heart sometimes what it takes to get through to us. It should simply be as easy as opening the word or having someone else tell you what the word says, hearing what God has said in his word and saying, oh, Okay, then. But sometimes it's not that easy at all. Because our hearts aren't yet what they one day will be. Peter understood the body was gone. He could see that much. But he didn't yet believe that Jesus was alive in spite of having been told that it was so. It was not until Peter saw Jesus alive later that evening that he came to understand and believe in the resurrection. The women were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and the people to whom they witnessed should have believed their message. The women, remember, were told by the angel. This isn't just the women going back and saying, listen... We ran into a couple of angels, and here's what they told us. What did the angels tell them? The angels told them, you should already have understood this. The angels pointed them back to what they had already been told by Jesus himself, and what they should have understood from the Old Testament prophets. So when the women are going back and they're communicating that message, that's what they're communicating. Yes, we spoke to some angels. That's pretty amazing, right? And maybe if you and I are the apostles at that point, maybe that's when we shut down. (laughs) You, You spoke to angels. All right, you know, I need to process that for a little while. Alone before you get to anything else. But the message is what Jesus already told you has happened, and what the prophets told you has happened. And on that basis, they should have believed. One of the great truths that emerges from this narrative 
is that the disciples did not invent the resurrection story. This is what we hear from skeptics all the time. Well, the, you know, the gospel writers, they just, they just kind of made this up. Or something even further out there, there was this group hallucination when Jesus says, you know, there are hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection, they say, well, you know, they all had the same hallucination. And I didn't know hallucinations were contagious, but apparently that's what they want to go with. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But what we find is that nobody, even though they had been told what was going to happen, no one expected it. Even when presented with evidence, they didn't believe it at first. They were not prone to making up a story about a dead man coming back to life. In fact, Alexander McLaren said, the evidential value of the disciples' slowness to believe cannot be overrated. It is evidence for the resurrection that nobody believed it at first. Not these women and not the disciples. The only reasonable explanation for the apostles' devotion, even at the cost of their own eventual death, after coming to believe the resurrection, is that they saw the empty tomb, they met the risen Lord, and they came to believe the word of God. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the question that has to be asked at this point is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has risen from the dead? Now there's plenty of Evidence to show that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. And you can get you know, apologetics textbooks. and You can find all kinds of things that people have written and preached, laying out argument after argument for the resurrection of Jesus. But at the end of the day, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the word of God says that Jesus rose from the dead. The word of God says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That is the truth, that is the gospel, that is the message of salvation, that is the word of God. And we are obligated to submit to that word. We can submit to that word through repentance and faith and receive the eternal life that Jesus had promised or we can reject that word and pay the consequence of that rejection. Those are the choices. But at the bottom, it comes down to that simple question. Will You believe what God has said. I trust you will. Father, 
We can't believe unless you are at work within us. And so we pray, Father, that you would take your word. And your spirit would utilize the proclamation of your word in drawing men and women and boys and girls to yourself. Save through the power of your word. Father, we thank you that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. The tomb is empty. Our Savior has risen. Our Savior has ascended to your right hand. Our Savior intercedes for us. And when that great day comes, Father, when you have drawn everyone that you have chosen, on that day, Father, he will return. Father, we desire that day to come quickly. We desire, Father, you to make, that you would make all things right. We look forward to that day when we dwell with you forever. And when we see the risen one face to face. What a glorious day that will be. Thank you, Father, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.